0: Happy Monday. Welcome in. You are locked in to RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. I hope you had an amazing weekend. I hope you were somewhere celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. I hope that you are comfortable and ready for more engaging conversation for the night. So, happy Monday. As I said... Let me just give you a little bit of what you're going to experience tonight here on RSVP with Jill Monroe. This is the show where we talk all the trending topics and headlines in entertainment, sports, lifestyle, and culture. And tonight, as always, we have a really full show for you. We're going to discuss we lost a legend, a titan, across entertainment and sports yesterday Clarence Avant. We're going to talk about his life and career a bit. We're going to talk about Dwayne Wade and his Hall of Fame speech. He dedicated a great deal of his speech to his father. We're going to talk about black fathers and sons and sort of discuss what that speech and those sentiments mean, especially currently as it relates to sports and outside of sports, of course. We're going to talk a little bit about James Harden. He had a lot to say in China, and it's causing waves, so we're going to get into that. We also have a guest this evening, an entrepreneur, someone that has worked with some of your favorite talent across sports. Also, a business owner here in Los Angeles. We're going to get into all of that, those details, with Damon Haley. We have that coming up. We're going to talk about the blind side, Michael Orr. He is suing his adoptive, and I say this with finger air quotes, parents. We're going to get into that legal battle and what it's all about. Some of you are probably thinking, I knew something wasn't right with that situation. Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into a new law that's been passed for child influencers. Kind of goes along with Michael in a way. But we're going to talk about that and why it's a good thing for the future. We're going to get into some of Sierra. She mentioned how the effects of black Twitter on her relationship, if there are any. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Plus, as I mentioned, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of hip-hop over the weekend. There were several celebrations all across the country. We're going to talk about a legendary group giving their final performance ever during this. We're going to talk about some hip-hop stats, of course. We're going to talk about one comedian, a male, that has come out and admitted that he is taking a popular diet drug right now. We're going to get into sort of men and their habits, their grooming, their personal body concept. I think that's a good topic for my guest, but we'll get into that in a little bit. And of course, you know, as always, we're going to give you VIPs an opportunity to check in with us, you know? So obviously, if you want to call in, The number is 800-920-1580. You are always welcome to call in and give your opinion. If you want to download the app and take us with you, you can leave us a message there. If you are a little gun shy or maybe you can't get to it right now, you can leave anyone a message there. Download that. Take us with you. Listen to us later if you only have time to check in for a little bit. And make sure you're hitting us up on our social media everywhere. KBLA 1580. I'm, of course, at Stiletto Jill. So make sure you are doing that. So before we get into the show tonight and all of those things, you know, we have a couple of conversation starters. So we got to get into that. Um, I mentioned Magoo from he was a duet, I guess a duo, you could say briefly with Timbaland. They released two albums. You are probably most familiar with the hits Love to Love You and "Up Jumps the Boogie. Real name Melvin Barcliffe, he passed away over the weekend at 50 years old. We are not sure exactly what the cause is yet, but we are sending love and light to his family. We saw several tributes online from Missy Elliott, from Black that used to be in the group Playa, that was a part of the basement crew, Genuine. Genuine's was particularly... Um, Passionate and kind of heartbreaking because he mentioned he himself feeling like he doesn't have a whole lot of time and that he might see him soon. So, you know, these are concerns for black men and their health at this age. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But sending peace and love to his family, go hit up Love to Love You or listen to what my personal favorite verse is from Magoo on Missy's Beat Me 911. That's a banger. Um, Magoo had an interesting and unique voice. I mean, he wasn't lyrical in the sense of what we think lyrical is, but he had a lot of punchlines and quips. And I think that he brought a lot to the situation that he was in with Timbaland. So, you know, that is the third member of the, well, I guess Aaliyah wasn't really part of the basement crew, but you know, she was part of the family. That's the third member that we've lost. So, um, sending healing and light to them. I mentioned that there's a comedian that is taking Ozempic. You know, everybody is on Ozempic right now. It is a drug that was initially intended for diabetes, but it has some side effects that include weight loss. And people have been snapping it up so much so that, you know, patients that are really diabetic in need of it for those services have not been able to catch on with it. Well, A comedian admitted this morning on the Today Show with Hoda and Jenny that he is on it. He's 54 years old, and he goes to the gym, he says, every day at 10, but... That's how he dropped all the weight. So it is Tracy Morgan. We know Tracy has been through quite a few things over the past couple of years. He survived that horrific bus wreck that happened and clawed his way back. We know that weight has always been something that he has dealt with throughout his career. So he's on it. He said it's working for him and that he went and got a prescription. That's how he lost all the weight. And he said he is not letting go. So shout out to Tracy for helping himself. And, you know, the jury's still out if that's the great way to do it. When we come forward, we will have, well, not more. We will have our introduction to our guest, Damon Haley, for the evening and get into more trending topics and headlines. You are locked into RSVP with Joe Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. Hey, it's Jill Monroe. You are locked into RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. And VIPs, we have a very special guest in the building tonight. It is not often you get to sit across and have a conversation with someone who has worked with Magic Johnson, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, has created brand experiences and guided brands like Nike, HBO, Pepsi, Lionsgate, Sony, Frito-Lay, Nickelodeon, Moe Hennessy, and Cartoon Network. Those are just a few. I haven't even gotten into the rest. And then pivots into the beauty business with his lovely wife, who is a force in her own right. We'll get into that in a second. But I would like to welcome to RSVP with Jill Monroe, Mr. Damon Haley. Oh, D.H., baby. D.H., baby. And listen, I forgot author. Author of the book of D.H., Dreams and Hope. Hopes. You know. Put a plural on it. Put the plural <laughs> on it because we have lots of hopes, you know, to go along with those dreams. Yeah, yeah. So, Welcome to the show, Damon. I, I selected some of the topics in the first hour specifically because I thought that you would have some perspective that we could get into. But before we get into that, let's talk a bit about you. You're from L.A. Born and raised, baby. Washington. Wash house,
1: <laughs> Or the prep, if you knew. The prep. Depends yeah, on which, yeah, depends where you on attended. Where at.
0: You know, went to college at Cal Berkeley.
1: That I did. Graduated
0: graduated yep. yeah okay sorry well, yeah. makes the distinction because there's Cause, a difference more, more people go to graduate that is facts facts and you know have i mentioned all the different brands you've worked with the global icons you know and now you have a beauty supply that is franchising that's right here in inglewood
1: hawthorne soon to come
0: products slay with three y's slay hair the newest braid hair out there And, you know, some things coming that will be a benefit to our teenage boys. So I want to ask you, that's a lot moving, right? Mm -hmm. How do you manage pivoting and all of that? How do you manage moving from one business to the other and connecting so many different areas? Uh,
1: it, It takes a lot of organization. It takes a lot of purpose and it takes passion. So... I don't do anything that I don't want to do, first of all. And that's just the minimal scenario. I typically uh, get involved with things that when I wake up, I'm excited about doing. When I spend time doing it, I'm happy. That kind of makes it a lot easy for me. So I loved sports and entertainment and culture. Uh, And then... I love uh, I I can't say I love beauty I love the business of beauty and I like how people feel as they strive to be their best selves that's really what beauty is about and that's what keeps me going with that and so not only is it running a beauty retail uh outlet if you say glow and flow beauty glow and flow beauty uh we don't use the s word you know uh, that we don't use supply. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Glow and flow beauty. Yeah, that's we, what I said. Yeah, we, we don't use that. <laughs> uh, that's another story about how that has been branded a certain way by a certain segment of the community, uh, not our community, but other communities. Um, but, yeah, and then figuring out where the need is and, and where there is a gap. As we know, as we evolve and get more information, I knew Braid Hair was a number one seller, and I knew I had to do my own but then I got my wife involved, the lovely Miss Diane Valentine, and we just made it better. Uh, and so, same thing about boys. Uh, we are soon to have a, a boys line out, a, a men's care line for boys because, uh, you know, they're never taught, you know, certain things like hygiene, grooming, and style and how to use it. So, I'm having fun with beauty. Uh, it's taking me once again all around the country, and soon it's going to take me to. Uh, back to China, it's going to take me to Africa, and I think it's going to take me to Europe, too.
0: As far as take you there, by that, you mean as far as working relationships, putting your product in those markets, or Get in work, what capacity?
1: Working relationships, okay. uh, taking our product there, because, you know, the braid style is an African hairstyle, so you have to go back to the continent uh, because they're still habitually using it, and I and I learned that really going to New York and going to D.C. and really understanding Nigerians, uh, f- women from Ghana, Senegal, different parts of 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 the, the 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 continent, African continent, come over here, they bring the hairstyles, and then of course you have the you know the African American women, so. Uh, I see myself going back. I do have dual citizenship uh, in Sierra Leone. Didn't okay. know if you knew about that one. I remember uh, that. But a couple have, years ago for your
0: birthday, you went and traced roots, found out.
1: Found out. Mom, my, mama's people from Sierra Leone, daddy's people from Mozambique. Okay. And so it's easier for me to have a connection and get over there. And once again, that's another thing that opens up my life, opens up my light. And then, of course, um, Europe uh, in our third store, which... We're figuring out quickly, we're going to have a partnership with some uh, black women in London to do a cafe inside the store. Nice. that's That's taking London by storm right now. So that's something probably in 2024, spring in 2024. So it'll take me to Europe. And, of course, you know, my wife loves Italy. And so we always go over there and we'll figure something out.
0: Yes, she did. She had a show, a dating show, where she took women, single women over the age of 40 to Italy to find love and themselves, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was, some, it was it was it was some young girls in there, uh, but yeah, it was to Rome for love. It was on Bravo, um, but she took uh, some some black girls to Rome to date Italian men, and so uh, she speaks the language. She loves it. They love her. You know, so she always gets I invited. I did not back. know
0: Diane spoke Italian. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is beautiful. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So let me ask you, because being in the beauty business as a black man, as a black couple, right, mm-hmm. a business that is primarily dominated by Asians, by Indians. Um, I'm not sure what other those are, you know, being in Southern California, mm-hmm. what um, I'm privy to here. What has that experience been like moving through that and sort of connecting? Because we've heard stories before about, you know, as black people being blocked out or boxed out of that industry. So what has your experience been like?
1: Um, it's, it's challenging. You do have to have a certain business acumen. Uh, it's pretty much Koreans. Koreans own uh, the beauty retail space within most African-American communities um, because they have a pipeline. Uh, the products come from China, and actually a lot of the technology comes from Japan. So that's just how it works. Japan thinks of it, China manufactures it, and then the on-the-ground Entities are Koreans, primarily here uh, in the U.S., and then they're Middle Easterners uh, that have come over as immigrants as well, and they camp out and do stuff, services, products, goods in our community, and and that's the most enlightening thing to think that, wow, we aren't developing these businesses, but yet we're patronizing and building other communities and it really happened i I think in the 70s for so last 50 years we've taken a lot of resources out of our community and really built up these other communities and that's what i'm able to see as i look at their their progress and look at that business model uh has it been difficult yeah you know it takes a serious negotiation Uh, you have to be able to talk the talk, but money's all green. Uh, at least American dollars are green. And so I have a good understanding with those that want to work with me because I've been able to do something that, uh, Diane and I have been able to do things that many of us can't do. You know, I have a, a big box store. I'm able to read contracts. I'm able to do certain things that a lot of us just don't and nobody makes it easy. So it's not, it's not, it's not Easy, But then again, it's not impossible. So somewhere in between there, I've been able to navigate it and, and get some deals I want and, and tell people, if you want my dough, it's going to have to happen. And then also I have nationwide distributors. So I have a good relationship with people out of New Jersey, uh, people out of Atlanta, Chicago, that if the people, you know, have options. And so I think over the last 10 years, we've been able to figure out options and I will say that 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 Glow and Flow probably has the the largest collection of black manufacturers in the beauty space than any other space. One because we have the size to do it, but we go out and uh, Diane does a great job of going out and calling those people personally, saying, "Hey, we want you on our shelves." So that brings some distinction that you won't find in a traditional Korean-owned beauty supply.
0: Do you think that your experience working internationally? sort of led up or prepared you for what you're doing now as far as moving through these other markets and being, again, sort of the outside entity coming in and planting your flag?
1: Oh, yeah. I I think that, you know, I spent um, probably over a five or six year period, I spent probably half to two thirds of my life in Shanghai and moving around China. So I understand culturally, like asians i know that they might not be the warmest at times but i understand when they fare i understand when they're uh being humorous and all that so i think it kind of helps me because you know they might not be jovial they might be more neutral but that's a good thing you know and so i think that helps uh you know if i throw out a couple chinese verb verb you know statements or something like that that i still remember from when i was there that just helps the process because it says that i'm just more than an l.a guy i'm a global guy and i think you get a little bit more respect and when i can talk about you know flying into pudong and the pushy side or i could talk about hong kong or being in southeast asia or bangkok it kind of makes them think differently that maybe some of the, the the black people they've encountered before which is pretty much their neighborhood type of people uh, so it definitely helped in terms of, of my global exposure uh, to be able to deal with different types of people.
0: So we're going to get into this James Harden clip, mm-hmm. right? James Harden was in China on a shoe tour, something that not with him, but you have led many a times with other athletes, some of which I mentioned
1: I actually was in James in, in uh, Guangzhou with James Harden when he was with Nike.
0: Were you really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I have a
1: funny story if you want to hear it. I absolutely want to hear so, uh, it. So it was a Nike All-Asia camp. I was there with George, big George Rav. Uh, and I was there, and, and I wasn't – I was kind of helping there. I just happened to travel there because I was, I was in, in China. So I, I took a plane flight there. And uh, some – Some some Chinese when they're saying uh uh, they'll be like nigga nigga nigga, (laughs) and the dude it was a bad interpreter. That's what you need, and you need a great interpreter. So so James did have a bad interpreter. So when he was thinking about how to say what James was saying, because you can't use like. colloquialisms or or phrases like like first time I was there I said oh man so-and-so threw me under the bus and people were saying you're out of the hospital so fast you know you can't say (laughs) stuff like that so James interpreter as James was talking and using slang to do to be kind of thinking and instead of saying uh it's uh, real radio uh so no (laughs) oh so he was like he was saying the n-word you know it, but but it's just the way that they say uh uh so James was kind of looking at me the only black dude there like what's up with this dude and and I had to swap out the uh interpreters you know so so that was a funny James Harden story but he's with Adidas now
0: so you know? yeah he switched sides but um so he in that environment we know Daryl Morley, who is the current president of the Philadelphia 76ers was with James in Houston. They have a relationship. Daryl um, became under fire a few years back for some comments that he made regarding China. So obviously James's comments today, letting them go in China, and we'll get to them in one second, seemed purposeful. But business-wise, does this impact James at all? We will get that answer from you in a second. We're going to play the clip and go from there.
1: Uh, Darryl Mori is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again Darrell Mori is a liar, and I will never be a part of an organization that he's a part of.
0: So, effectively, uh-huh. publicly, James is saying that, um, you're not going to play me this year. You're going to trade me to some place I want to be. And that um, you haven't been dealing with me fairly. So do you think that at this point in his career, where James is on the downside of his career, right, that coming out with these comments, being so public with it, being calculated in a sense, do you think that hurts him at all?
1: I, I think it does. It, it probably puts him because, for one, we don't know the question that was posed beforehand, right? So, so people obviously knew. Um, people don't know James and Daryl's real relationship. They're going back to that whole thing he said a couple of years ago, which he spoke out of, out of turn in terms of sp- political stuff that happened. That's the first thing. And then secondly, they had already said in the press yesterday that they've ceased conversations on trying to trade him and that he is report to camp. So for him to say that he's never going to play for him, they're trying. He's trying to put the heat on. I think for them to trade him after a day, a day before they said that they've ceased all, all trade, you know, uh, conversations with teams. So I think it was strategic. I think that that James and Daryl have a long history together, uh, and what I know of. The, the negotiations last year when he had signed, there may have been some commitments that James thought that he was going to be taken care of long term because that's why he doesn't – that's the issue he has. He wants a long term. He wants a four-year something-something deal. And like you say, in my opinion, he is on a decline. He's not the same James Harden. And you typically don't get those fat, juicy contracts for four that's years. When we
0: come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley, and we will talk more about his entrepreneurial journey, some of the superstars that he's worked with, and, of course, get into more trending topics and headlines. You are checking out RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. News and sports is up next. I got it right. So, for real, okay. All right. We do this thing where we test my music knowledge because I am knowledge goes deep deep you were locked in to RSVP with Joe Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580 shout out to Andy you know he keeps the playlist lit with the classics what was that about 97 so for real something like that i lower 95 wow okay almost 20 years ago i can no more than almost 30 years ago listen <laughs> <laughs> the time I I am vintage, I'm a classic, and I thought it was 20 years ago, so apparently I'm not as old as we thought. That's okay. You are locked in to RSVP with Jill Monroe. We are here with our guest, Damon Haley, who is an entrepreneur, business development mentor, advisor. Listen, you, I like to call myself the queen of the pivot, but... You have really pivoted from your early career that had nothing to do with sports, nothing to do with entertainment, and you found your way and worked with legends, titans, across the game, the board, the game. How does one find themselves in those type of situations? Obviously, you step into one, you know, could be luck or, you know, focused and driven intent. But to continue to do that, and we're here. As I was just let known, the 90s was 30 years ago. So, I mean, how does that happen as far as a career?
1: Um, I think, one, you, you got to go hard at everything you're doing at that moment. Right. Because I didn't I didn't I could have not dreamt that I was doing the things that I was doing. So I mentioned, you know, I went, you know, I'm from wash house where um I was really a math science dude because I just said, hey, if there's one answer out there and I can consistently get it quicker than you, I'm better than you. And so that was kind of my thing. And, and I, I had some good teachers that, that had me going. I mean, my science teachers were probably my favorite ones. They had an interest in me. And so um, I went to, to, to Berkeley and I fell into to like a quantitative economics thing. Once again, I was always good at numbers. You know, I can always figure out that thing. And then I just applied it to business principles, mostly finance and accounting and all that kind of stuff. And I was good at it. So when you're good, it's like being a tall kid. They're going to put you in basketball. Right. So I was good at it. But just because I was good at it didn't mean it was my thing, you know. And so it took me to figure that out. Now, I'm good at it, which means I'm performing well and then I get the benefits of that. So... Uh, after Berkeley, I had done well enough there to go to business school. And so Michigan, uh, uh, Wolverines in the mix, right? One of the top. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, so, but it was, I was always interested in sports because two of my best friends were, were on the team at Cal. And uh, I just was always in the mix of, of what the athletes were doing. I was always interested in the business side of it. And then when I got to Michigan, it was really, I mean, I was Fat Five. I was there with the Fat Five, and I don't want to date myself, but I I was there with the Fat Five, Desmond Howard on the Heisman thing, uh, Barry Sanders and uh, with the Lions, and then the end of the Bad Boy run. So it was really sports stuff, but it wasn't a clear path for me. And so I take this gig at, at Chevron, where I'm doing pretty good. But then I got the call from Jerry Erasme at Nike, who I went to business school with, and was like, yo, Nike's looking for somebody. To, to, to launch their west coast marketing office and it was a talent play for the decision maker he said you know la you know the bay which are the top markets uh because i was living in the bay at the time uh you cool you got enough swag you know the culture and all of that and he just bet on me even though and i've never taken a marketing class in life ever and so um, i said cool If you believe it, if you like it, I love it, you know, and I did the interview thing and they actually offered me the job and then I turned it down and then they sweetened it, you know, and then I I, I accepted it. And so I moved from from the Bay down to L.A. And so it's just being able to show up and impress. And I still had to still work hard to to get into the marketing lingo and figure out what marketing was for me and what marketing meant for Nike because it wasn't no no game plan. It was right. nothing there. And I think that's part of what he figured. Damon's going to figure it out, period. And so it worked out.
0: It really did. I mean, so, again, I'm just going to go over a couple of names. You work with Magic Johnson, arguably the NBA player that set the tone as far as business and sort of in spreading that out with real estate and the mm-hmm. charitable component and things before Jordan. Obviously, we know what Jordan did, who you also worked with, and his connection. We know that LeBron took sort of what both of them did and has expanded it beyond what anyone could think. And when you think about Kobe, I think the way that Kobe was embedded into this market and really brought together, in a lot of ways, the black and Latino communities here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, dug in with that was something that prior to that, I don't feel like we really saw with an athlete as far as community and culture and connection. So I want to ask you along those lines, what has changed for you as far as the definition of culture as you look back on your journey?
1: I think that um, culture is now digital expression. So I think that, you know, hey, you, you, you take her Big er, Magic, right? You take her He he was one with the people, you know. You can see him smiling. You can see him shaking hands. You can see him at the Starbucks. I mean, he really engulfed people. He didn't need security or anything like that. That's what he kind of believed in, connecting people, connecting dots live. I think that uh, you write about Kobe, and and I think that, if he were here with us today, he'd be doing something interestingly and ins- extraordinary because that's where he was. He's was probably the, of all the guys I work with, he's probably the most smartest, intelligent, and global, you know, uh, and that's why I, why I liked him. And you're right. He said, I'm going to do the black thing. And, you know, kudos to the crew, you know, Drew, Jerry, you. I'm going to do the black thing. But then, you know, Hey, his wife, his, his queen was, was, was Latino. So I'm going to do that. And then also, he's like, okay, D, I need to do the China thing too. And so, what does that look like? So, he was probably the guy who understood the most people. And he wasn't a warm and fuzzy guy, but he still would connect through one learning a language. Cause he knew Italian, he knew Spanish and then he, he broke, break off some Mandarin, you know, and, and learned it. I was like, dang, you know more than me, you know, that kind of thing. And so he got that. Now, now Jordan, interestingly enough, he never was connected, you know, and product kind of helped him, you know, just due the Jordan. He, he was, ne- he ain't a hip hop dude. You don't never see him, you know, around that stuff. He, Oh yeah. You know, he came in a different time. So for me, I think now it's, when I say digital expression is you can you can post and people think that, you know you can do selfie you know like LeBron he was rolling his old uh, you know old school
0: was that a Range Rover what uh, the green car today yeah. what he was, was singing MJ
1: no it was it was a refurbished car of okay. some sort like a Chevy or something like that and he's doing Michael Jackson I forgot what the song was but like I, said, I knew what he was doing today day and night you know yeah yeah working working, working day, day, and day and night, night. Yeah, exactly so we don't have to see him or touch him. He can show us what he's doing and and millions of people can see. So I think from a culture standpoint, you can tap the culture remote. You don't have to be like... Up, you don't have to really embrace it boots on the ground you, you don't have to be that at all and so I think that when we were you know rolling you know at least you know in the 90s to 2000 I think we lost it around 14 15 you know you had to touch people excite people tantalize people and give them real FOMO you know the fear of missing out or 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 not being there now you, you don't have to. You can DVR. You can you can save it and all that kind of stuff. See it when you want to. You know, it used to be uh, when I worked with HBOs, video on demand. You know, they hated that because you couldn't sell Sunday night anymore. Right. You know, that kind of stuff. So I think that's the thing. It's 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 more broad, but it's not deep and intense.
0: When we come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley on RSVP with Jill Monroe. You are locked in to KBLA Talk 1580. It's Jill Monroe. You are checking into RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580. I am joined by my guest, Damon Haley, entrepreneur, all-around renaissance man, author, the book of D.H., Dreams and Hopes. D.H., baby. D.H., baby. So, Andy, before we came forward, you had a question or a comment that you wanted to speak about. Yes,
1: ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Haley, I just want to say what you said about Kobe was just really, really profound, you know, being a, a Kobe guy. Um, but I guess I guess it's kind of like an observation slash question slash statement based off of what you just recently said. And, uh, you know, Kobe obviously growing up in Italy or whatnot, right? When he came back to the States, it was like he was ridiculed for being different. But fast forward to him being an athlete and getting into the business game, in a lot of ways you can say that, you know, him uh, growing up in Italy kind of helped him as far as uh, connecting with the people is that is that fair to say yeah i think i think he was definitely different if you think about you know him being you know drafted you know the the mid 90s or so and what was happening in the world and the typical nba guy you know um, and i'd say ai like iverson he wasn't an iverson dude you know and type of guy he just wasn't that type of guy he was cultured like i say he was smart. I think academics was different. So he did have that rap phase where he tried to be the same. I remember
0: it intimately. Right? I worked on a project with him for that. He,
1: he, he tried to. I think he did. He just was just trying to fit in and do his thing. And then as he grew up as a man, he grew into who he really was, which was a culture type of guy, you know. And so I think that we talked about him touching the the black community uh, the, uh, you know, in Latino slash Mexican here in LA community. And then once again, I know what he did in, in, in China. And obviously he went back to his roots, of Italy. So he was by far your most global NBA guy like ever right now, even though you have Europeans that come over here. And, and so it didn't hurt that he was in LA, to, you know, they gave him, you know, a lot of media appeal and all of that. So I think him being different um, was to his advantage because you get guys now that are growing into where Kobe would want to be like stuff like wine him coming from it. He knew wine way before all of these other guys got into wine in their 30s it's laughable when all of a sudden wine becomes a big thing
0: you know i call them me too they all drink wine they all play golf now yeah. they all there's a couple of things they all have french bulldogs as pets so they very much follow behind each other and whatever the hot yeah. thing is and,
1: and kobe was so because th- those got the the typical guy that, that a black american dude he makes a little money and then probably in his late 20s is when he gets out of that phase of buying out the bar and doing all that kind of stuff and then you become mature and think about grown up things kobe was just already there uh i think ahead of a lot of the guys in his uh in his era if you will now guys are more exposed and they might get it a little earlier but uh he was unique uh, definitely unique in that way. And then you, you take about, you think about his investments. You think about the dude getting an Oscar, all that kind of stuff. I mean, there's probably not going to be another NBA guy in a long time that's going to get an Oscar.
0: I think well, Kevin Durant got one last year, but not like Kobe. Yeah, he, he wrote was part the thing. of a project. Yeah, yeah, he yeah,
1: he, he wrote the thing. <laughs> he was in the, in the center of the thing, and it was about a passion that he loves, he took an idea and a piece and he turned it into something extraordinary because of his creative genius. And he was by far the most detailed dude uh, I had been around. I mean, I'd have to be ready uh, and prepared when I was around him because I knew he was going to ask me questions that he cared that much to ask stuff that other people wouldn't ask or really didn't care about. He didn't go through motions. He was real about everything he did.
0: That is facts. That is facts, very intense. So, being that, I, I kind of asked you how the, your definition of culture has changed following your career journey, and we just highlighted someone like Kobe who was different and sort of ahead of his time, but mm-hmm. still had his struggles. You, The fact that you mentioned that you were good in math and science early, right? And there's so much emphasis on STEM currently, right? And we're mm-hmm. still kind of revving up for that. What do you think the disconnect is between our community? Because I feel like not an easy reach, but I just I don't think that it is as out of reach as sometimes it is made to be. And I I don't know if it's just an exposure thing or the way things are set up. But for you, as someone who grew up during a time when there was not necessarily special emphasis placed on it, it was just, you know, education as a whole. Why do you think that it is something as far as an interest as us as a group have not um, latched on to more?
1: I I think it's just distractions, to be to be honest. Um, I hate when people say they're not good at math. I mean, I always show my phone and I have some some young people show me their phone. I said, the reason why our times are exactly the same is because there's a satellite in outer space that's saying that that means that math and science works, even not even on Earth. And I say that's how important and vital it is, where if you go 3,000 miles any directions, the laws change, what, what side of the street you drive on change, the history changes, the language changes, all of that kind of stuff, but, but the math and science stays true. And being a global dude like I am, I, I think it's focused when I, when I see, I've been to all the continents except except Australia, but when I see that and I see the intensity at which they're educating kids, that those kids are not trying to be athletes, those kids are not trying to be rappers, they're not trying to be entertainers, they're not trying to tell jokes and all that kind of stuff. And I just think that that's our go-to a measure of success. You know, and I think that when you're a young person, you see that and you and you want to do it versus being a smart person, you know.
0: Don't you think entertainment is America's greatest export, though?
1: It is. Oh, yeah. Music in particular is, yeah. is, is the biggest export. I mean, you see what Beyonce is doing all around, you know, and all that. And, and, and we know it is the biggest export, to be, to be honest. Numerically, I read that somewhere. So. I just think, but if you sit there in a Middle Eastern uh, uh, country or you're in an Asian country or even a European country, you're like, I might not can't be a star, so I got to learn something. And they come, you know, they they, they create interesting and dynamic things on a faster pace than what we do. Because it's still some, 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 our culture's still doing something, but we're not doing it in mass. You talk to 10 young black boys maybe two of them want to be scientists or something academically driven. The other eight is going to be entertainment or sports driven.
0: Do you think, and we'll talk about this when we come forward, but do you think that it's just as simple? Because I actually, coming up in the next hour, I have a clip from Vince Staples. He's a rapper from Long Beach. And he was talking about sort of... Related to this, but not exactly the same, that a rapper can't break through now that doesn't fit, you know, those certain stereotypes or aesthetics. Mm -hmm. He said if someone came along trying to be original, but being a rapper and said, you know, hey, I want to be an astronaut. Nobody's going to listen to that. You know, and people always point to, well, we don't show enough positive images in our media in order for people to ascribe for that. And I believe that we did at one point in time. Do you think it's as simple as if we put more of these images into our pop culture functions, that it will be something that will turn around?
1: I think it will help. I think at the end of the day, you know, even I look, everybody can't, you take the, the 50 years of hip hop, okay, Pete, okay, Puffy's a billionaire, maybe Jay Z's a billionaire, and then I
0: think uh, Dre. Right. Right. But that's just three out of I don't know how many. It's kind of like. Th- th- and the rest that are doing what you think Nas made a lot of money, venture capital investing, chameleonier who only had a minor hit, but took that, got really into the VC and investing space. So, yeah,
1: you, you know. make money off technology and private equity because you think of the, the list of billionaires. What you got, Jordan, Oprah, you only got about five people all from entertainment. And then you got David Stewart, and then you got Robert F. Smith. But all them
0: other white folks. It's
1: all types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's real it's real estate if you owe, but it's tech and it's private equity. That's how you get rich. You don't get rich playing basketball. You just don't. And so I think it's more that it's hard for us to see because we want to see role models. We want to see people that look like us being rich, but it's just hard to see that.
0: When we come forward, we'll have more with Damon Haley. You are locked into RSVP with Jill Monroe here on KBLA Talk 1580.